Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing, and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review with our tech expert, Sam Bulkring. That's right, Nigel remains in the jungle and we've been debating about whether or not we should be trying to vote him out or keep him in. I was under the mistaken impression that you tried to get your favourite character voted out of the jungle in order to try and rescue them from the harsh conditions of what they call the jungle, which is really not that bad in Australia. But that's not true, is it, Sam? No, I'm... I'm a little disappointed you're not familiar with the format of this show, Nick, because it is one of the biggest shows on British television every single year. But yeah, look, the idea is to actually be the last one standing. So if you like the person, well, I mean, (laughs) it's a tricky one. I suppose if you liked someone, you'd want to remove them from torture, basically, right? Um, But the aim of the game for at least ITV is to... Have people watch the show so that the advertising revenues can flow through the door. Um, and look, if you're if you're the popular most popular character, you want you want you want your character, you want your person to win. So if you want Nigel to win, it's a kind of sadistic way of looking at it. But you want to keep him sub- subjected to everything that he's going through in there. Um, so you know, you um, I think I think you have to vote. You have to vote to keep them in, not vote to get them out. So. I mean, he's doing well though, mate. I tell you what, some of the stuff that they have to do, it's physically quite demanding. Um, you know, I just, it's stuff you and me would struggle with. And I know, Nick, you know, you and me are not exactly the exact physical replicas of each other. You'd, you'd probably do a much better job than me, but I, I reckon even some of these challenges you'd struggle with. I didn't realize there were physical challenges. I thought it was more about you know, how disgusting can you get. Um, I've got to quickly mention I'm more of a Midsummer Murders uh, sort of person <laughs> than uh, whatever. That's that's not a reality show we want Nigel on either. I don't think. Let's move on to financial markets before this gets too bizarre. Uh, we've got gold back up about two thousand US dollars. It's not trending so well in terms of pounds though, which is a hint about really going. Yeah. Well, why don't you take us through the gold market? You know what the gold market? You, you you're you're asking the wrong person about the gold market because the gold market over the last what ten years is basically done. Um, now I'm all for digital gold. Well, I don't like calling it digital gold, but but I'm talking about Bitcoin, which has got a bit of a resurgence at the moment. But as for the gold market, I mean it's it's really nice for for you know for people that want to believe in, in gold and I get that and hey I've even got some exposure to gold as a great hedge against financial calamity um, but if you're in it for the price um, I, I, do, I don't think that that's necessarily always going to work out favorably for you I'm not seeing like $20,000 gold anytime in the, in the future mate. it's certainly a different order of magnitude in terms of the gains compared to what you usually look at but the, the real point you've made there is that if you're talking about short-term price moves in the gold price, you're kind of missing the point unless you're deliberately looking for that speculation. Really what's going on is that everything is falling in value relative to the value of gold um, when the gold price goes up. And, and that's really telling you about what's going on in the financial system. The real question is whether interest rates have peaked. And we're talking, of course, about the central banking world as well as uh, the bond market. 
And the fact that gold and also cryptocurrencies have started turning up lately suggests that the interest rate hiking cycle and interest rate rising cycle is over. What do you make of that? Uh, well, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I, I think, um, you know, we. I think the numbers that were just out of the, the US were pretty strong in terms of growth. Um, and the central bank always, you know, plays this tricky balancing act between, you know, making an economy or helping an economy to grow and and stimulating that but at the same time they don't want it to get too growy uh, and too hot because then they need to put a lid on that growth because otherwise you get inflation so coming off of high inflation and i think we should really make the point here that inflation is still high i mean anyone that that believes that inflation has been reduced or prices are going lower doesn't live in the real world. And by that, I mean, you know, come on, it's the politicians, particularly around that. Real prices at the supermarket, real prices for energy, they're not, they're not 2018 levels, right, or, or lower. So inflation is still a problem. And now the economy is starting, well, allegedly starting to grow. Um, I, I, I don't think that they're done with raising rates. I think rates maybe they pause for a bit. But if the growth numbers still keep ticking up and inflation doesn't really get below 2%, then I think they're going to have to put rates up to try and cap some of that growth because otherwise the economy is going to get too hot and the inflation is going to start roaring back again, um, which will be a, a double whammy for them. So for me, it, you either the, the rates either continue to go up just not at the same pace that they had been going up or at the very worst i would think that this is basically the baseline for the next five years at least yeah and prices are rising less fast but they're still going up they're yeah. still going up too fast so you think that the by that measure at least the task is yet unfinished and some more interest rate hikes may be on the menu now, the question is whether something happens in in the next few months that forces them to start cutting interest rates, they might cause a financial crisis, for example, by hiking rates too much. Do you think there's much risk of that? It, it would have to be, it would have to be a black swan event. It would have to be, um, it would have to be a, a complete and utter banking crisis, which that's, that's not, not a possibility, <laughs> double negative, but that's, I, I just don't see that coming in the short term. So no, in absence of a, of a real black swan event that, that sends the economy deep into recession, um, I think that they will keep putting out numbers that, that, that have, have enough justification for them to at least slow down the, the rate cycle that they've been on. Um, but cutting rates, like cutting rate, like when people hear the term cutting rates, in their mind, in my mind even, so if it's in my mind, it's probably in other people's mind. The idea, when you hear cut rates, you're like, oh, like by a percent or by 2%. Nah, if they're cutting rates, they're maybe doing like a quarter of a percent once every year from here on in. That's that's the cut rate cycle, if there's going to be one, but I don't even see that coming. Yeah, it's a long way down. Um, it's a good point. They've, they've created a lot of room for themselves and interest rates, even if they do get cut, um, they might not go down as tough as many people need them. Let me let me ask you: if if they cut rates by a percent or or percent and a half, what do you think that does then to inflation? Right. Well, what it, 
I don't think it matters terribly much to inflation because I think it's a velocity and supply of money issue. But the point I would make about this is that um, it would be an absolute nightmare to many people who are currently resetting their mortgages onto the current interest rate. And if that were to happen just before interest rates are cut significantly, um, that would leave a lot of people rather upset that they fixed their mortgage rates at the peak in interest rates. Um, you know, just as there are many people who, who gained and won out from having fixed their mortgage rate just before interest rates went from close to zero to, to 5% in, in it'd, some places. It'd be like, um, do you remember? Losers at the peak. As I said, do you, do you remember in uh, in Australia where um, I think it was at Philip Lowe that said, we are definitely not going to be, you know, increasing rates and, you know, we, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And then all of a sudden they just started ramping them up and everyone was like, hang on a minute. Just like a month ago, you said, don't, we, you know, we should have been locking in our mortgages and all of a sudden we're, you know, 2% higher. Like, what would you hang on? And he's like, oh no, you shouldn't have listened to what we said. Like that was literally what the central bank said. It's like, oh no, you don't, don't listen to what we said. It's even like, I think it was today. It was today or yesterday. There's some headlines out about Andrew Bailey saying, oh, <laughs> The economic outlook for the UK, nah, don't, it's not good. It's like, hang on a minute, you, you're supposed to be you're supposed to be in charge of the central bank here, and you're saying, nah, don't. It's oh, he's just shaking his head, going. It's like he's just going, oh, nah, just I don't want to be here. Unbelievable. These are these are the central bankers that we're, that, that are in charge of, of of monetary policy. Sorry to interrupt, but if you're enjoying this content, you can get it every single day. Just click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com. Get a daily email from our team of experts. Thank you. Let's move on to US politics, a topic that makes us laugh even more than central banking. Um, we've got some evidence on Joe Biden and corruption in the Biden family coming out. Ironically enough, of course, it is precisely the allegations that were made against Donald Trump that are now being made against uh, Joe Biden. But there's some evidence, like I said, they've got they've got the bank statements, they've got the checks at last. Do you think it matters to financial markets how this battle plays out in politics with Trump being um, uh, arrested, I believe? Um, what's it called? With Trump being indicted? Indicted? Yeah. What do you think it means for financial markets with this battle in politics playing out, with Trump being indicted, with President Biden possibly being impeached soon? Um, do financial markets care? No, don't think they do, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I we we talk sometimes about the political aspect of things, and look, to be fair, from my perspective, I, I does not bother me which side of the fence people sit on. Try not to, you know, and even put my views into into editorial mainly because of the reason is that okay so they've indicted trump on things and and now maybe they're looking to indict biden on things um you you see this is happening on both sides of the fence right so it kind of just makes you realize that it's all a bit messed up right and this is why this so this comes back to almost what we were talking about before is about why you would have something like gold in your portfolio right or why you'd have bitcoin in your portfolio now, I don't think the financial market's particularly bothered by what happens from, you know, these indictments and stuff of presidents and, and all of that, but there is a possible knock-on effect uh, from those into just policy, right, and and change and, and, and um, uh, an unstable political situation 
tends to lead to unstable uh, central bank positions. So there's a, there is there is a knock-on effect. I don't think markets care, but there is a bit of a knock-on effect when you have this kind of instability at the top, so to speak. And that that then does shake itself through the banking and financial sector and then into markets. So while markets don't care specifically about these particular kind of events, that level of instability does have an effect. And that's why you have something like gold or like Bitcoin in a portfolio is because for me, those are the defensive assets that you want against instability. And if there's a lot of instability, that's when those assets tend to shine. So yes, there's an effect, but it's not, I don't think directly linked to these events, but it's directly linked to instability in the political scene. Yeah, Biden and Trump certainly have a very different foreign policy. Um, so there could be a lot of geopolitical risk there. When I first met Nigel Farage, I remember he wouldn't stop talking about immigration. And this was about late 2020, I believe. Um, and immigration is one of the few issues that Nigel and I probably disagree on. I'm much more pro-immigration than he is. Um, not to the extent that the UK government is pro-immigration at the moment, but nevertheless. And uh, at the time, it didn't seem very important. And subsequently, legal immigration became a big issue. And now immigration itself has become the dominant issue in politics in an extremely long list of places, including all the ones we follow, uh, the US, the UK, Australia, Germany, Netherlands, apparently, obviously Sweden, Denmark, a whole bunch of other places. Do you think there is a bigger political change at hand here than just what we've seen so far? Um, yeah, I do. I do actually, and um, I can't remember if we discussed this the other week or not. But when you have, you know, you, when you have a sort of political environment that goes too far in one direction, society has a way of kind of bringing it back, and then often going too far to the other side. And you know, it's this pendulum swing. Um, I think that we are witnessing, particularly in Europe a significant change of attitude and it is a lot of it is fundamentally based around migration illegal migration um it's a it's a it's a tricky one because look i i i, I am all for immigration it's it's necessary for economies to grow like australia's economy would not be what it is without immigration and a lot of it but you've got to also not just have the gates flung wide open for anyone and anyone to come in and abuse the system. So you do need controls and you need the right processes in order to make sure that you don't have illegal immigration. And you and I are both very well aware that Australia put in a policy of stopping the boats many, 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 many years ago. And they did. They they literally stopped every boat. And it, and it put an end to illegal migration via that channel. Again, there's a whole bunch of complex issues around human rights and how those people are processed and all that sort of stuff, which we're not going into. But the, the point is, is that that worked. And the UK is looking to do something very similar. And at some point, you've got to be hard line about who you can let into the country and when, because otherwise you do become a bit of a free-for-all. That's not to say migration's bad. Every country needs migration. I'm I'm an immigrant. You're an immigrant. We're always, you know, I'm I'm not from Portugal or the UK, but I live in these places and contribute to the economy. And it's really bloody hard for people like me to actually migrate to a new country. So, 
I've certainly got personal views on how all this, you know, plays out. But fundamentally, without immigration, economies tend to not grow. So that then becomes obviously a cultural and societal issue, which, you know, people get very tribal about. Um, and that is, that is creating a lot of political change in Europe. And it is definitely changing the political scene. We've seen it. Uh, we're seeing it now happen in the Netherlands. And I think that's going to really knock on to a lot. I think France is probably next. I think Le Pen is probably going to, to become, you know, she's going to do a geart and, 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 and rise to the top. Um, and I think Europe's, Europe's on, on, on shaky, shaky ground. I think that there's, there's, there's fragmentation there and, and it's going to be one of the big stories I think of 2024 and 2025. Why are governments not slowing immigration rates? It's not like they can't do it. It's not like they don't control the rates of immigration via their visa and, and government policies. It's not like it isn't hurting them very badly in the polls that they're failing on constraining immigration. It's not like they haven't promised to slow down immigration. They have done it. Why haven't they done it? Uh, look, I, I don't honestly don't know why they haven't done it. Um, because it seems like it's a relatively straightforward process. And if it's not, then the, the, the answer is probably because of the legal, because of the legislation that is already in place that has been put there over many years and the difficulty in changing that in a quick time frame, uh, because there are ultimately then legal challenges around those sorts of things. So when you start to get, when you start to actually want to change a lot of this stuff, you don't need a huge opposition to slow that down and put a lot of roadblocks and bureaucracy in the way. Um, and that that seems to be the case. Even if you wanted to change these things quickly, the time and length to do it from a legislative perspective, I think is a very difficult fish to fry. I don't know if you knew this about me, Sam, but apparently my great-grandfather, there might be a few more greats missing there, designed the Nottingham Sewage Network. Um, shortly after discovering oil in Saudi Arabia. So I'm not so sure this is an entirely credible story. But nevertheless, <laughs> uh, it was of interest to me that the Nottingham City Council went bust uh, to the extent that local councils can go bust. This is the latest a long line of councils in the UK struggling financially to various extents. I feel like this is a really good economic indicator of what's actually going on on the ground. It reminds me of 2008 when some councils around Europe started to struggle financially because of the investment plays that they'd made in various bizarre derivatives. Uh, but it was a sign that the rot ran well beyond the financial system and right into the economy and not just, you know, some dodgy mortgages in the US. Uh, do you think I'm onto something? Is this an indicator you've noticed? Yeah, I mean, we saw it with Birmingham as well, right? You know, Bir I think Birmingham is the second biggest council outside of London, right? Um, and they're, they're bankrupt because of shady investments in green uh, investments. And uh, <laughs> if, if Nottingham's the next one on the list to topple, it won't be the last. And it is absolutely an indicator of, of, of the problems. It's, it's a bureaucracy problem, right? That you, you have so much complexity and bloat in government, both federally and down into the counties and cities and states and boroughs and everything the whole, the whole along the whole line there's just no accountability 
There is there is no accountability for the actions. And look, this is reflective of the financial sector too, right? I mean, you can wind this clock back all the way to 2008 and the accountability of of, of everything that happened during the, the global debt crisis. You know, there was and still is no accountability for that. Um, and and that 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 is a that is a fundamental problem with the 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 setup and the processes that that government at all levels goes through is that there aren't enough checks and balances on these people uh, and the actions they take and then it sends entire cities bankrupt and then takes key services away from the people that have no idea what's going on all of a sudden people are like why aren't my bins getting collected every fortnight now and it's like every four weeks and and, and silly things like that and it's, it starts at the top and the rot does run deep you're absolutely right it's a big moral hazard issue. It strikes me that these governments, in the end, they have the financial backing of, of you know, the next level up uh, in, in the hierarchy of government, so that they don't really have to be too careful. Uh, well, I mean, I believe as well, the, at, the end, at the end of the day, you know, they're never all going to go actually go bankrupt. They're never all going to fail because at the end of the day, the central bank can just print its way out of mess. Yeah, it reminds me that in the US, a lot of these states have uh, balanced budget. Uh, rules in order to prevent uh, this dependency on federal government. Um, let's finish with the artificial intelligence story. You found, rather than just covering the, you know, the stocks of AI, you found a way to use AI as an investment tool or, or theme. I'm not quite sure I fully understand yet. Um, how is that going so far? It's going great, Nick. Um, you know, we, we, are at, we are at a point where AI tools are launching to market every day now a lot of the stuff that gets attention is around uh like creative arts you know like creating images or videos you know maybe writing um so there's a lot of you know interesting stuff from that angle that's that's being released every day but ai and machine learning and, and, and smart algorithms have been a fundamental part of the financial services market for decades um, and it's evolved over time where traditionally it's always been, you know, the remit of, of big hedge funds with, you know, algorithmic trading and then involved machine learning. It all comes back to a data story. These are machines, smart machines that can, can crunch so much data that humans just, we, you and me just couldn't do it. We just physically couldn't process the amount of data that, that smart AI based uh, engines can do now. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a story that's really been bubbling away for a long time. And so the stuff that we've, that I've launched is, is around the convergence of these tools, these AI tools that we now have access to and, and bringing that into the investment realm of individuals like you and me and the people that are watching this video, because traditionally we've never really had those tools at the individual consumer level, as I say, the remit of big financial institutions. But with this explosion of AI tools at your fingertips for all kinds of different uses, we can now bring that together and help people to make better investment decisions because we can use AI power to crunch billions and billions and billions and billions of rows of data that we could otherwise not process. And that helps us get better indications of making trades in the market at the right time. You know, you can never time things perfectly but using AI power, you can certainly be smarter and at least get certain indicators lined up that helps you make investment decisions at better times. And so when you bring the sort of ideas and big thematic investment ideas of 
of what's happening in the world and what's happening in technology. And you bring that and converge that together with this incredible AI, you know, engine that crunches all this data. It's um, it's a match made in heaven. It's it's this convergence of man and machine, not competing, but converging together. And that's what we've been working on. And so far, it's been a great success uh, already. People have responded to it really well. Um, and and hopefully people will continue to open their eyes that AI is not going away. It's a fundamental part of how industry will work. It's a very important part of the investment world. And that now we have the tools at our disposal uh, so that we can individually and all make better investment decisions. So it's really exciting stuff. Just the idea that it's not a threat is part of the innovation here. It's a tool that's available for you to use. That the, the metaphor that it sort of strikes up in my mind is the idea of you know, everyone's been rowing their boats and all of a sudden someone says, well, why don't we rig a sail? Because there's all this wind, all this information out there that we can harness. Yeah. Uh, and you've just, you've just popped up this, this sail and the AI sail is pretty darn big um, because it, it has the capacity yeah. to process all this information. It's um, not even really like a sail. It's kind of like strapping six 300 horsepower Mercury engines on the back rather than a sail. It's certainly pref preferable to rowing. Um, Sam, I'm surprised you're, you're keeping on top of the, the noise, as you might call it, now that you've got AI to harness all this information. The idea that you're keeping up with all the news, given the, the power of AI. Yeah, yeah you know what? Um, it's helping. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not sitting back, you know, with a, my, uh, with a, what is it? Uh, what's that cocktail that everyone drinks? Is it a Mai Tai? I don't know. I think it's a Mai Tai. I'm, I'm, not, a cocktail, I'm not a cocktail guy, Nick. Um, it, I'm not sitting back with a pint, just kicking it back, taking it easy. So, you know, I'm using AI to augment and improve my work and my research. And it helps me keep on top of news, but also we know that AI is not perfect. I'm not perfect, AI is not perfect, but I think that together, when you when you use it in the right way, and as I say, augment your own intelligence with it, uh, you get pretty close to perfection. Yeah, you still need that filter and that, and that verification at the end of the day. Um, but the underlying idea is it's made you a lot more productive. Uh, so if people want to check out what this AI tool is that Sam Green has devised, there should be a link below this video, depending on when you're watching the video. Uh, and uh, Sam, thanks very much for joining us again for another week. And Absolute pleasure. Watching. Thank you. Well, thank you for watching. And I hope you agree it's never been more important to take control of your own money, your own financial situation. We do a daily free email, a fortune and freedom daily email with lots of knowledge, lots of insight. It's a very useful way of protecting yourself for the future. So please click the link in the description or go to fortuneandfreedom.com and get my daily email.